Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant, and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you seeking to put the kapow back in your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundy with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show has been designed to open your mind and turn intelligence into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. Happy spring, everyone. It's that time of the year where we start to plan our holidays as we enter the new season of bliss and blossom. Spring is renowned for spring cleaning and hay fever. So it's something I'm, I'm suffering from. So that is why I couldn't think of a better topic to talk about, um, which is spring, spring cleaning, but specifically um, for business. Out with the old, in with the new. Einstein says, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I couldn't think of a more appropriate guest today, Harman Singh. And Harman is um, to LinkedIn like Trump is to Twitter, but he's also the group executive for innovation strategy at MTN Africa. And he comes with very interesting views and perspectives. So do stay tuned today. Hey, Harman, welcome. Hi, how are you, Thomas? Good to be here. Oh, good. Fantastic. Um, I think I'm just going to jump straight into it because we have so much to talk about. Um, what I wanted to ask you is, Hadman, we are be, being ushered into the fourth industrial revolution and with more grand challenges than ever before. It seems that there are still so many organizations who cannot learn, unlearn and relearn. What do you think? Why do you think that is? Uh, come on, I basically blame it on success. I blame it on success from existing knowledge, existing processes, existing uh, products, and existing mindsets. In other words, you've got a lot of very wealthy, very successful people who've been able to become wealthy through doing what they've always done. And it's worked so well that actually uh, it's created this mindset that, that there's no reason to change because what I've been doing up to now has worked. And Correct. so we, we've got this very dangerous situation where the world's changing and people don't feel that they don't have to. 100% it's almost um, Dion Chang the other day um, he was talking about it almost as like these operating systems of businesses and the way that they've been operating for so many times it, it's just like they're not agile enough anymore and um, they, they can't evolve um, easily because also they're monolithic powers um, which I also think is, is something that is um, also a very difficult thing when there's so many procedures change is not an easy thing to implement in a big organization that's exactly right. I think that, um, you know, what we tend to do is we tend to figure out what works. We then write manuals and build systems so that we can replicate the thing that's working. We teach people how to do it. We build processes. We write manuals. We create scorecards. We build incentive schemes. And if you deviate, you actually get disciplined. So basically, the entire organization is designed and geared to do one thing and one thing well. And it, what it's not designed to do is change. 100%. So what do you think organizations need to learn, unlearn, and relearn? How, how do they approach it? Look, I mean, clearly what they've got to do is almost act like a startup again. They've got to go back to the way they used to be. Mm. Um, you know, even a company like MTN, it's 25 years old. You know, we are 
we've just stopped being a, a teenager in a, in a way. Mm. We've got to go back and think about what it was like when we first started. So you've got to relearn the way we used to be. What we've got to learn, of course, is we've got to learn what the, the key DNA and success factors are in today's world. In other words, how do you, do you experiment? And the experimentation is a big part of this. Mm. It's, about, it's about listening more to customers, engaging more with customers, finding out where the trends are. Mm. You almost have to be a sociologist. We've got to learn how yeah. to be a sociologist to understand how customers are going to use technology, use their phones, use their TV sets. We've got to get into the mind of the customer. And then when we've got that, we've got to learn how to very quickly build solutions that customers want. And what we've got to unlearn is the behavior that says we just sit behind regulations, we sit behind market dominance, we sit behind brand, and we, you know, if you think about, you know, a company like MTN, when we started, we didn't have to sell. People wanted airtime, yeah. and then they wanted data. But you're getting to the point where you have to start to sell the things that you have. People aren't going to come to you anymore. So it's a lot of things to learn, unlearn, and relearn simultaneously. Thank you. It's so exciting to hear, first of all, you saying that we can't hide behind regulations um, because regulations, um, the one thing is, is that it's, it's evolving very slow. I'll give you an example. Um, I went online to go and look for, for a certain product insurance. I don't know how this happened, um, but I was looking online. I didn't submit my information or detail, but I clicked on a certain link without giving my cell phone number or my email address. My phone rang um, the next morning telling me that they believe that I've been looking around for a certain product. And I was gobsmacked. And I was like, you know what, you know, sometimes when we do these these things, we also just have to be conscious of, of the consumer at the end of the day. And because we're living in the age of the connected individual and they are in control and they are shaping products and services. Um, and, it's, and it's more about listening to them and what their behaviors are than the other way around. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because we've got to try to figure out what problem the customer is trying to solve mm. rather than and you know i i have this endowment which is i am in this position i have i've been given this license to operate you mm. know we have to earn our license to operate every day by absolutely servicing customers extremely well love it um the term um, disruptive innovation seems to me like it's overused i i think that's almost losing its meaning what does it mean to you so I've got two, two comments to make on this. The first comment is um, explaining, explaining what it traditionally means. And the second comment explains that actually disruptive innovation doesn't exist. So let me explain the second comment first. What do I mean when I say disruptive innovation doesn't exist? You know, dis disruption is a term created by people who are in a position of power. In other words, people who are going to lose their power. So if you think about it, you know, the, the invention of the car disrupted the horse industry. Mm. Who used the term disruption? The horse industry. Who benefited from the car? Consumers, billions of consumers. In the same way, when electricity was created, we moved away from steam power to uh, electrical power. Mm. Who used the term disruption? The people that were hurt by steam. Who benefited from it? Everyone benefited from electricity. So we've got to be very mindful that the word disruption is actually a term developed by the incumbents who are at risk of losing what they have. However, in wow. almost every instance of disruption in the history of humankind, there's been a massive upliftment of billions of people. So we've got to be careful here because the word disruption has a very negative connotation. Uh. I would argue that disruption is incredibly positive for consumers all over the world, number one. 
So, so that's the first point, because it comes across as very negative, and we've got to understand the narrative and who controls the, the narrative. And the narrative is being controlled by people who aren't innovating fast enough, and they're using this word disruptive innovation. Now, what is disruptive innovation? The first part of my answer. Disruption, disruptive innovation really talks to two things. The first thing it talks to is value changing compression. In other words, things that used to take 100 uh, units of effort now can be done with one unit of effort. Hmm. You know, buying a book used to involve a whole series of activities, uh, going to the shop, getting out of bed, putting on pajamas, parking, walking into a bookshop, finding the book, checking out, walking back to my car, paying for parking, etc. Today I can sit in my bed, in my pajamas, open up my Kindle. It says, hello, Herman. Last time you were here, you bought this. People who bought this bought this. For your convenience, I've moved the cursor to the button marked buy. If you click it, your cell phone pings and the book arrives 15 seconds later. Now, that is not a 5% improvement. That's not a 20% improvement. That's a, that's a massive compression mm. of the value chain from 100 down to 1. That's the first thing that's happening. The second thing that's happening is um, what I call industry collision. The best example of this is um, is a cell phone. You know, the cell phone killed the, the navigation book industry. Mm. It killed the, nav the navigation system industry. It killed the iPod. You know, it killed the tape recorder. And I can carry on. You know, there's yeah. probably 20 or 30 major industries that collided simultaneously and melted into one. Mm. If you walk into a large, a large retailer in South Africa today, you can pay your bills while buying your groceries, collect your social grant, collect a money transfer, buy an airline ticket, buy a movie ticket, buy a bus ticket, uh, you, you know, make a deposit into a bank account. You can do all of this in a retailer. This is industry collision on a massive scale. Mm. Yes, I must say, I'm having many aha moments, and I've never looked at the way that you define disruptive innovation um, in that way, and I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think I think it's just a buzzword that, that you just keep on hearing all the time, and I sometimes wonder, do we really understand what that means? So thank you for giving such a interesting perspective um the other question i would like to ask i sometimes um that believe now that you said this about disruption um but i do believe that some people are unaware of disruption happening to them so they believe it comes like a thief in the night but i think it's a lack of preparation but what is your views on what the threats to these businesses and industries are um that leads them to being disrupted Look, it's, it's, an, it's an invasion. Let's be very clear here. It's an invasion. You know, mm -hmm. if, if Facebook starts to publish ads, they're clearly declaring war on, on the, the people that currently publish ads. So anyone who's publishing ads today should have known for the last 10 years that Facebook was coming. <laughs> there certainly yeah. was no surprise. In the same way, you know, telecommunication companies launched banking services. They've launched music services. They've launched video services. They've launched gaming services. These, these get announced. They're out there. Really, traditional businesses need to be aware and need to be mindful that, um, that these threats are, are coming. The, the problem that you have and the reason that businesses don't react, mm. and this is why it feels like it's a thief in the night, is the day you launch, so the day, for example, that MTN announces, we've got a new gaming portal for cell phones at MTN. The next day, we have 100 customers. The next week, we've got 1,000 customers. The week after that is maybe 10,000. So the traditional businesses are looking at this going, well, this is very small. They, you know, it, we don't really see this growing. And so disruption occurs in this way. It starts very, very slow, and mm. then it, it, it ends very, very quickly. So in other words, in two years or 18 months, MTN went from nothing on mobile gaming to a billion rand business. And I promise you, nobody saw this coming. 
because it, because it feels like it happened overnight. It's not happening overnight. It's uh. happening exponentially. And that's the point here. Humans think linearly. Organizations change logarithmically. And disruption occurs exponentially. So, I mean, those of us that did high school math will, will understand that, that metaphor, which is incredibly fast change. I love that. It's, 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 it's um, such an interesting um, perspective, but it's, it's so true. And, you know, some of these big disruptions that we've seen, like Uber is a perfect example. I mean, it, it, it wasn't something that just started overnight. There was a lot of planning and a lot of mistakes that happened in the back end, and, and they started optimizing. And this is how this giant has grown, which is um, paramount to our lives. And it's disrupting a lot of other industries. I, I mean, I'm speaking to a lot of people that are saying to me, you know what? I don't want to have a car anymore. Um, why should I have one where I can just use an Uber to Uber around town, my insurance, my car premium, all of these things are taken care of. So those things are going to have a ripple effect in the long run, even more in other industries, as you, as you mentioned. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, I want to ask you to be relentlessly relevant and to apply great innovations that change lives. Everyone needs to buy into the purpose. What are the secret recipes to building a culture of innovation? That's such a good question, Carmen. You know, I, I often get on exactly that topic. So, you know, I've presented at conferences and uh, at industry conferences and also in company conferences on exactly this. Um, I mean, fundamentally, an organization needs to accept that there's a need to change. So if you haven't created a burning platform, nobody, nobody moves, mm. right? The, remember, the natural status of a human being is actually to be quite comfortable. Yes. We all seek this peace, right? <laughs> so we, nobody wants to change, actually. Once we've found something that works, we th- th- think about this. Everybody gets dressed exactly the same way every morning. There are 13 items of clothing that most of us have to put on, and we all put them on in exactly the same sequence every day. In my case, socks first. Um, and... <laughs> and, and and um, it's the same thing about your route to work. We all drive exactly the same way. There's multiple ways of doing it. And I promise you, you know, the way we put our bags into the car and the way we make our coffee is exactly the same every day. So firstly, there's this inertia around change. Nobody really wants to change. You've got to create this burning platform. Yeah. And once you've created this, this burning platform, you've got to create a, a channel because people get anxious. Yeah. You've got to say, okay, you've got me interested. What is it that you want me to do? And so here, the culture is about enablement. It's about creating you know, tools, uh, creating capacity, and giving people permission because, you know, innovation is a lot like playing. Mm. And children play really well. Why? Because children don't need permission to play. They play, they make mistakes, and they conduct experiments. Mm. And they don't get punished when the, when, the, when the experiments go wrong. And that fundamentally is the culture of innovation, is giving people permission. Because in today's world, we've actually removed permission from people to play and experiment. 100%. I mean, like people have this huge fear of failure but failure is actually the most beautiful gift because that's where you learn this that's where the greatest ideas come from um if you look at the light bulb the light bulb was 10,000 failed ideas um that led us to that moment so i mean it's changed society so i think i think it's giving exactly as you say it's giving permission for people to fail and also for people to bring their ideas to the table which leads me into the next question about diversity inclusion because it's paramount to innovation but it just seems to be that Businesses really struggle to get this right. Why is that? That's, uh, it, that's a great question being asked all over the world. Um, and, and the challenge really is that um, it starts at the top, right? Because people tend to work with people who are just like them. 
So people like to uh, work with people who came from the same school. If you look at South Africa, it's very much about do we speak the same language, do we have the same cultural background, do we have the same religion, do we come from the same region? Mm. Uh, and it's astonishing. You know, I've worked for four or five companies and I've been stunned by the predominance of one kind of person. In fact, I once worked for a, a creative organization where 90% of the people were left-handed. I was amazed by this because in the normal human population, it's one in, it's one in 15. Yes. Uh, and so we, we are naturally biased that we like to work with people who are like us mm. because we tend to reach agreement quickly, we tend to execute quickly, and we have very clear expectations of each other. Diversity is actually hard. It requires that we've got to yeah. deal with strangeness, with difference. And in fact, that's the very strength of diversity is that it forces us yes. to question the way we've been brought up because no single race group or, 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 na or nation has a lockdown on the, on the ingredients of success. Think about Nokia. One of the reasons Nokia failed is that everybody in, in Nokia came from Finland. You know, the, the head of Nokia mm. South Africa was, was Finnish. The head of engineering was Finnish. The CEO was Finnish. And now the company is finished. Right? So, <laughs> so, 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 my, <laughs> so my point being, that the argument that a small nation of, I don't know, 8 million people can be simultaneously, can simultaneously have the best in every job is extremely, extremely unlikely. And so that is why we struggle. We struggle because we want to, we want sameness, we seek harmony. I love that. So it's so interesting because diverse, diversity really also enables this change. Um, it, it allows to embed change within your organizations. And also like, you know, I think on a one-to-one -one relationship, even that you have with people from different cultures, uh, um, many, many years ago, I think uh, when I was still very young, I worked on the ships for, for um, four years and there was over 70 nationalities. And these countries were actually at war with one another. And in the, on this ship, over 700 of us, we had to get along and we had to learn to understand each other's beliefs and each other's um, views on the world and to collaborate and to make things better on, on, in that environment that we would be on for, for months together. Um, and, and this is it's absolutely so true. And diversity, I think people give also their perspectives and background. It's very, like for me, I find it very hard to understand how a male can make a decision on feminine, um, female products, you know, mm, mm, those yes. kind of things. And you need to have the right people representing the customer at the end of the day as well. Exactly. So, so many companies start innovation hubs. Tell me, do they work? I've, I've yet to find an innovation hub that does, and I've looked at dozens, if not hundreds. Um, so my kind of conclusion at this stage is innovation hubs in companies don't work. Um, and they, they don't work for a couple of reasons. O often they set up because of what's called innovation theater. So someone sees and hears about an innovation hub, we should have one, why don't we have one? And they look cool, right, because they, they've got funky colors and the furniture is weird and the walls are strange and there's <laughs> toys, you know, and, and, and you know, it's, it's wonderful. What are they doing? They're basically creating a nursery room, like a, a nursery school, right? Think about it. You're creating an environment where people are going to play. Well, yes. if that's what you want, why don't you tell people, I'm giving you permission to experiment and I'm giving you permission to play. You actually don't need to build a hub for that. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I think people aren't clear about what they want from the hub. They're not clear about how they define success. They often don't build a whole bunch of other stuff around it. Um, but there, there are, there's a very logical way in which you do build a hub, and most companies have missed that. 100%. And don't you think also there's some sort of danger also when you have like, like I've always, when I see these innovation hubs, it's always the highest of high tech. 
um, that you would see um, in these like, you know, the Oculus and like big um, tech toys to play with. But there's so many people that don't have access to these technologies. I know that we need to start looking into the future, but shouldn't it all be about exactly as you say is giving people permission to play. But at the same time, we need to try and play and try and solving problems. Yes, that's right. And, and, and in fact, you know, the innovation, it, everyone's looking for a silver bullet. So the view is, let's build this hub, it'll solve the problem, it's one thing. Actually, it's going to be hundreds of things. And the innovation hub may or may not be one of them. I, I prefer kind of, you know, a, a hacker space. Mm. That's what we've, we've got. And, and where you actually create real problems, you create real challenges, and you put people in a room to solve a problem. And it actually doesn't matter if the furniture is funky or not, or what the colors are. It's really about... You, you, you know, cross-functional problem-solving teams. Well, here's the thing, Carmen. That particular concept has been around for 40 years. That is not new, right? We've just given it a funky new name. We've given it a new brand. We've built a new industry around it. But it's nothing new. It's just cross-functional teams, you know, focused on problem-solving. It's so true, but like, yeah, we hear that all the time. Like, we would hear so many things, and then people are like, but that's not new. But yeah. I, that, that's exactly it. And I just think, um, I think we've just been far removed um, I think also Simon Sinek says it so beautifully, like as organizations grow bigger and bigger, we're becoming far more removed from the problem and we're just getting these day-to-day tasks done. Um, that's why I believe I believe in the 70-20-10 rule, the, the innovation model. Um, you have to spend time um, to explore and to do things differently and to know what that is. Now. I want to understand from you as a last question before we go into a little tradition that we have. Um, what makes you cringe and you think to yourself, this is so yesterday, why are we talking about this? Hi, Harman. So, I'm going to repeat know. the question because you, you, you completely disappeared there. Yeah, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to say, I'm going to ask the question again and then you can answer it. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Okay, perfect. What makes you cringe and you think to yourself, this is so yesterday. Why are we talking about this? So when I hear people talking about, you know, business process improvement and cost reduction programs and we've got to improve the customer interface and we need another app, you know, I think we've, we've, we've gone so far beyond that. You know, we, we are now at, in a world where we've really got to start asking do customers even want to buy the thing that we're making? Because mm. nothing is more useless, you know, than, than being the manufacturer of Tipex and trying to find better ways in which you can make Tipex, package Tipex, brand Tipex, you know, distribute Tipex and sell Tipex. Because people just don't buy Tipex anymore, yeah. right? You know, and so that's the point. So there's too much of an emphasis around improvement of what we do rather than radical redesign of what we are doing. And so what we tend to do is we tend to then add a layer on top of the thing we're already doing. Let's build an app, you know, uh, let's build a Tipex app, you know. And so we end up building an app for something nobody wants anyway, and then you get app sprawl. So this is what worries me is people tend to look at, at problems in a very, very simplistic way. They, they really sharpening knives to go into a gunfight. 100%. I mean, what you're saying is so true. I mean, I, I, I read one of my books recently where they reckon people won't write within the next 10, 15 years because of the way that we're moving into this digital um, transformation. Writing would probably in the next 20, 30 years not be something that people will be um, doing frequently. So that, that industry, I can tell you now, if they don't um, evolve very quickly, would probably not exist in a couple of years. Um, and it's, it's, so, it, it's absolutely true. I love what you're saying. Now, are you ready 
I'm ready. We are going to go into our 60-second challenge, and we're going to ask you 10 questions, the most random questions, and you need to ask them, answer them as quickly as possible um, within 60 seconds. On your marks, okay. get set, go. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years, everyone will look back and be embarrassed by? Driving cars. In 40 years, what will people be no nostalgic for? ATMs. What is the weirdest thing you have ever seen in someone else's home? Uh, a birdcage. <laughs> What's the most ridiculous fact you know? Um, the number of robots they have in Japan exceeds the number of people over the age of 60. <laughs> if you had to give up one thing that you do every day, what would it be? A reading a newspaper. You're a mad scientist. What scientific experiment would you run if money and ethics weren't an issue? Um, you know, you'd have to do what Thanos did and get rid of half the people. <laughs> what, what would you do if you were invisible for a day? <laughs> Competitor intelligence. Would you rather live for a week in the past or in the future? In the future. Whoa, you've managed to get eight out of ten. That is well done. Well done. We got to know you very well there. We've got two more questions. I'm going to ask them in any way so that people can also um, get to hear that. What has been your favorite family vacation? Uh, cycling in Canada through the Rockies. Oh my goodness, you're adventurous, hey? Whoa, we've yeah. got a cycler in the midst. Um, with my family, with my family. With yeah. your family, of course. Yeah. Um, what's the one food you could never bring yourself to eat? Uh, I can't eat squid heads. <laughs> As you say that, I'm like, Ugh. Yes, I agree. Harman. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, knowing you for, for some time now, um, you've really inspired me in so many ways and you keep on inspiring me and it was really a privilege to have you um, on the show today. And I know that we are going to encourage so many listeners out there that are very interested, interested in this topic and I think you're going to give them a lot of new perspectives. So thank you very much and, uh, and see you soon. Subscribe to the Carmen Murray Show podcast on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox or Stitcher and never miss an episode. Rate us so you can help other people find it. We would like to thank Brand Life Radio for the innovative container studio and for making this show possible. And listen in to the other shows on www.brandlife.co.za. We would also like to thank Solid Gold Studios for managing all of the podcast portals and for Creative Chalk for the creative artwork. Join us next week as we continue this journey to get you future fit.